Good morning. This morning, I'm going to be speaking to the believers. If you're not a believer, consider this as a look at something that you could have. Having said that, I'm now speaking to only believers. Brothers and sisters, we're going to be dwelling on a wonderful subject this morning. We call it the eternal state. I want to kind of uh, do a bit of a fast forward maybe of CNN headlines. Of course, I don't think CNN's going to be there through all of this, but kind of imagine this as a bunch of the news that's going to happen in the future. We know right now that the church is on the earth. We're all here. Sometime in the future, I believe it'll be very soon, the Lord Jesus is going to return to the clouds. We'll come to meet him. We'll be taken off the earth. After that, the earth will undergo what's called the tribulation seven years during which the Lord will judge the earth and the people on it. At the end of this, we have what's called the second coming of Christ, where the Lord Jesus returns to the earth, his foot touches the Mount of Olives, and he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. We call the millennium. At the end of the millennium, after we've had the Lord Jesus reigning on the earth, there's a rebellion. That rebellion is crushed. And then the devil is cast into hell. All the unbelievers are raised from the dead. They are judged at what we call the great white throne judgment. All the unsaved are then cast into hell. And then the Lord creates a new heaven and a new earth. And we enter what's called the eternal state. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. If you're like me, this week was a very ordinary week on a sinful planet. Being around sinners, sinning yourself, seeing uh, in one way or another defiling things, just in general living on a rebellious planet. We're going to figuratively end up in heaven itself by the end of the message. But we're going to get there gradually because... I don't think, as it is now, we'll be able to appreciate it. So we're going to kind of work our way there by degrees. We'll start our journey at the beginning of the New Testament, and we'll move to the very end. And we'll start off in Matthew 22. So go ahead and turn there, please. Matthew chapter 22, verse 30. Matthew 22. The Lord Jesus is on earth at this point, and there's all these different people coming to him, asking him questions. You know, you wonder, what kind of a question would you ask Jesus if he were here? Well, the Sadducees came up with a real zinger. They said, look, Jesus, this lady was married to this dude, and this dude died, and then she gets married to another guy, and then he dies, and then he gets married. She ends up getting married seven times. Now, when everybody's raised from the dead, whose, husband, whose wife is she going to be? Snicker, snicker, snicker. Boy, you can't answer that one, can you? A completely dumb question. They're trying to trip him up because they don't believe in the resurrection. The Lord Jesus ends up using this as an opportunity to teach. He says, Matthew chapter 22, in verse 30, he says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. That verse always used to bother me a little bit. No more marriage. I always thought that was a good thing, right? Why is this? Why, why, is there, why are they, do they neither marry nor are given in marriage in heaven? Well, a couple reasons. 
We know from uh, the Bible, for example, Ephesians chapter 5, that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. The wife is submissive to the husband, just like the church is submissive to Christ. The husband loves the wife in the same way that Christ loves the church. It's a picture. In eternity, the church is going to be with Christ, and we're not going to need a picture anymore. You imagine some young lady living maybe in the United States, and she's engaged to a young man who lives in England. And they're separated. They don't see each other every day. And she carries around this picture of Mortimer. And she looks at this picture, and that reminds her of him. And I imagine she probably looks at his picture every day. Because she doesn't see him. She's not there. He's not there. But then, after a while, Mortimer comes on his boat and sails from England and comes and gets her. And then as they're sailing back to England, as he's taking her home... When she's sitting, maybe they're sitting in their cabin and we're crossing one another, she's not sitting there looking at his picture anymore. I mean, there's no reason to. He's right there. She'll look at him instead. In the same way, we don't need the picture anymore. We'll be with the Lord. Also, marriages and families in general, they help to fulfill a desire. A desire for a close personal relationship with someone else. Families like that. Parents with children, children with parents, husband with wife, wife with husband. We need relationships with other people. Who, who, I can't remember who it was that said, no man is an island. We need other people. We need a relationship with someone else. And we're fulfilling that desire with relationships with other people. And it's, that's good. It's the way God set things up. But... God designed, up, designed us for a relationship with himself. That's the perfect relationship. You know, you we're always told, I've been told, Dave, when you get married, don't expect your wife to be perfect. She's a human just like you. And, you know, it's the same thing. You can't expect your partner to be perfect. Well, to a certain extent, we do kind of want someone to be perfect, don't we? I really want that other person to be perfect. Well, that's what we're designed for. We're designed for a relationship with that perfect person. And we'll have that in heaven when we're with the Lord Jesus. There's the perfect person who, that we were designed to be in a relationship with. So there's our little first glimpse of heaven. Throughout eternity, we're going to have a wonderful relationship with God, that relationship that we were meant to have from the beginning. There's that relationship, that desire for a relationship that's fulfilled. Next turn, please, to John chapter 14. I've got to tell you, this is one of my all-time favorite passages. I, I kind of see things in colors. I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird thing I have. I, I, I can see textures when I see music. When I think about words, I see colors. This has always been kind of this royal, deep red passage to me. I love this one. John 14. Beginning in verse 1, the Lord Jesus is about to be crucified, and then raised from the dead and go to heaven. But he's talking to his disciples. He says... Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We're not going to have a room in the heaven, Hilton. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
it's it's a big place the Lord's preparing for us. I don't know exactly what it's going to be like. We're not going to need, you know, stuff to eat necessarily because our bodies aren't going to decay. But we're going to have a place to live, a special place. And it's prepared by the Lord. I go to prepare a place for you in a very respectful sense. We kind of see the Lord here as an architect, as an interior decorator. You think about it. I go to prepare a place for you. He's getting it ready for, for me, for you. You think of the husband and the wife, their first kids on the way. You set aside the room for the baby, maybe put up special wallpaper, you know, little teddy bears maybe. Get new pink curtains or blue, depending upon if it's a boy or a girl. Maybe get one of each. You put up, uh, you buy a crib, set it up, get it all ready, maybe hang a little mobile over it so the baby will have something to look at. Get him some blankets for the crib. You have the clothes, the diapers, the, the, the food. Everything's ready so that when the day arrives, you bring the baby home. All that was necessary was to put the baby in there. And now everything's complete. It's like the baby's been there all his life. Same sense. The Lord's preparing a place for me. Just like that. I know Bob Chafee's coming there, so I'm going to get this. I want to do it like this. I want to have this place. I want it to look just like this so that when Bob Chafee finally arrives, it's all ready for him. All it needed was him to occupy it. The Lord's preparing a place. I thought it was interesting. The Lord says all the time, most assuredly I say to you, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. He doesn't say that here. He says something very like it, but he doesn't say that. What does he say? If it were not so, I would have told you. It's such a loving phrase. It's like a friend putting his arm around you and saying, look, you know me. I wouldn't tell you if it weren't that way. I'm telling you, this is what it's going to be like. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then he says, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. I'll receive you to where? To heaven? No. Why doesn't he say, I'll receive you to heaven? Isn't that where we're going? I'll come again and take you up to heaven, and then you can stay there. No, I'll receive you to myself. We're going to be with Jesus. Yeah, heaven's going to be great. <laughs> I know it's going to be great. From all the stuff we read about it, it's going to be incredible. But that's not what's going to be so cool about it. I'm going to be with Jesus. And that puts everything else to shame. I have no idea what that's like. I've never been there. I've never met him. But I know it's going to be wonderful. You notice the physical proximity. I'll receive you to myself. That where I am, the place that I am, there you may be also. It's not like we're going to be on the same planet. Jesus is going to be over there and we're going to be, you know, somewhere else and we'll be in the same place. No, where I am, there you may be also. Close to Jesus. So there's another part of heaven. We're in a place prepared by Jesus for us. A place where we will be with him in a perfect relationship with him. 
Next little glimpse of heaven is going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. I promise only right turns this morning. We're working our way towards Revelation. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. The love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. The Lord says we're like a child. He likens the situation that we're in now to being like a child. Understanding things like a child. We don't, with our human minds, the way they are, we don't understand everything. We can't. It's kind of like I could go to one of my first graders and I could say to him, now look, you're standing on the earth. The earth is this enormous sphere. And the reason you jump up and you're pulled back down is because of gravity. It's this force that attracts bodies to each other and this enormous body is pulling you back down to it. And now the sun's out there. The sun's so much bigger than the earth, but you don't get pulled to the sun because you're really pulled to the earth, but the earth is pulled to the sun and you're going around it and spinning around it through space. And he'd look up at me and go, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. He's not going to understand it. And that's fine. He's not, an, he's not, he's a child. The Lord says that's where we are right now. But there's going to come a time for that child when he grows older and understands it. There's going to come a time for us when we're going to put away childish things. Right now we don't, we don't appreciate the Lord Jesus as he should be appreciated. But we will. We'll put away childish things. That part of life is going to be done. You ever take a shower? If you're like me, you like to take nice and hot showers. Then you open the door and the mirrors are all steamed up. You can't see, I want to say you can't see anything in them, but you kind of can. You can kind of see shapes, kind of see colors. but There's not really much you can do. Paul says it's like that right now. Now we see in a mirror dimly. The breaking of bread this morning. Sitting there thinking about the Lord Jesus. Yeah, I, I, I can kind of appreciate him. I think about what he's done for me. Think about what I know of him from his word. I, I'm a sinner. The cares of the weak. I'm not necessarily thinking about the things themselves, but they're still kind of there in the back of my mind. Sin's clouding my mind. I don't really... It's not the same as it will be when you take that towel and you wipe it across the mirror and yeah, there, everything's clear. Then face to face, no more foggy mirror, no more sinful thoughts, no more distractions, face to face with my face, my own face, looking at the face of Jesus. Then I shall know, just as I also am known. The words for know at that second part of the verse literally mean fully know. Then I shall fully know, just as I also am known. There's going to be no more, well, it might mean this. It might mean that we don't know. No more possible interpretation. No more imperfect understanding. How well does God know you? That's how well 
I'm going to know. Then I shall know just as I also am known. Another little part of heaven where we're working towards. The true appreciation of Jesus for who he is, unclouded by anything, face to face with him, in this perfect relationship with the Lord Jesus, in a place prepared by him for me. Turn over another page, please. Just probably one more to your right to 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 53, Paul's speaking of the bodies that we're going to have at the resurrection. This isn't the body I'm going to take into eternity. Praise the Lord. This has got lots of problems. I'm looking forward to getting a new one. I'm 28 and I can already say that. The new bodies we're going to have. Verse 53 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says... For this corruptible, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. It's going to put on incorruption. Each of our bodies is wearing down. We can't do what we used to. I get sick. I get hurt. I can't come out to church. I'm really getting used to getting sick now teaching elementary school. I get it all the time. It, it brings me down. I'm not able to do what I want to do. The older saints, maybe they can't make it out to all the meetings. Maybe they're slower reading the Bible than they used to be. Our bodies are wearing out. Some have died. And then they're definitely not fellowshipping with us because they're dead. But that's not going to be there anymore. This corruption, corruptible must put on incorruption. We read in 1 John 3, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're not going to have these old, wearing out, beaten up bodies. God's going to give us something new when we see him. We're going to go into more of what this is going to be like in Revelation 21 but a new body, an incorruptible body, one that doesn't get tired, one that doesn't get sick, one that doesn't get a little tired during breaking of bread because it's so early in the morning. Incorruptible. Another part of heaven there. We won't wear down. We're never going to die. For eternity, we can be with the Lord. Eternity, we'll be able to praise Him in this perfect relationship that we're going to be in with him, that he's designed us for, in a place prepared with him where we're going to be face-to-face -face with the Lord Jesus. Turn again, please, over to Ephesians now, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 6, Ephesians 2, 6. God has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, 
uh, Greek word is eons. As the eons come, as they're rolling over one after another. You want to talk about billions and billions of years? I believe in billions of years, by the way. I totally do. But in the coming, in the future. Billions and billions of years. And that's not going to be anything. That's going to be nothing. Because it's going to be that much more coming. My, I, my mind just blew a fuse. I, 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 I can understand it up here, but I don't really get it. And what's happening to us during these eons? We're experiencing the exceeding riches of his grace. Exceeding. I was taught early on in my English, don't use superlatives. It was very this. It was very that. It was a lot of this. No, don't use those. Well, God uses them when he should. The exceeding riches of his grace. That's what we're going to be experiencing. The exceeding riches riches of his grace not of my grace which is not very much if any exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us what is this going to mean i don't know i just know that it's really good he'll be revealing the exceeding riches of his grace And notice, by the way, that lest we lose sight of why this all is happening, in his kindness toward us, where? In Christ Jesus, it has nothing to do with me, which is good because I'd probably blow it. In Christ Jesus, that's why all this is happening. It has nothing to do with our own merit. I have these words underlined in my Bible. That, in the ages to come, he might show. That he might show. Why is he doing this? Because he's revealing himself. God is revealing himself to me. He's going to show what? Something about himself. That's what heaven's all about. Getting to know God. Getting to, being in a relationship with him. Understanding him. God's revealing himself. That's the best thing that I can do. That is the best thing. Don't get to know the creation. Get to know the creator. Know what he is like. That's what we're created for. Now, of course, we're not going to understand all at once. We're not going to ever understand everything. We can't. Because he's infinite. You, you want to talk about how big God is? This really gave me a new appreciation for God. God's going to have eternity. And he's going to be revealing himself to us. But it's not like we're going to say, okay, I got it. I understand now. No, he's infinite. Through all that time, we're going to be appreciating him more and more. And it's not going to stop. That's what eternity is for. For an infinite God to reveal himself to finite beings. We'll be happiest doing what we're designed for. Learning about and being with God. I'm a musician. I'm a teacher. Maybe I'm good at those things, but that's not what I was designed for. I was designed to know God. What does Jesus say? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, that they may know you. Just like a finely tuned part of a machine, doing exactly what it's mean, that little gear that's spinning exactly right, doing what it was designed for. That's where it's best. That's where I'm best. That's where I'm going to be the happiest, doing what I was designed for. Knowing about God, learning about God, appreciating Him for who He is. And we're the wonderful beneficiaries of this. Look, God's chosen to de- demonstrate His grace and His kindness 
toward us. Praise the Lord. That's what he wants to demonstrate towards me. You think about you know, what? What if God wanting to, wanting to demonstrate his wrath had endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared beforehand for destruction? That's not me. The verse talking about me is God's going to demonstrate his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards me. What a thing for, what an attribute for God wanting to demonstrate to me. God's been revealing himself through time. That, 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 that's what, you look at the Bible. That's what it's all about. God's showing himself. Look, we can't see the invisible attributes, the invisible character traits, as it were, of God. I can stand up here and say, I'm wise. And you can look at me and go, okay, you say so. You can't know that, though, unless I do something that demonstrates that. There's no way you can know that. I have to do something to show it. In the same way, God reveals himself by his actions. For example, creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1 and 2. Think about all the stuff we learn about God from that. His power. You want to talk about power? That God speaks in something that doesn't exist, can't help but exist because God said it had to? That's power. Uh, love. A perfect place to live. Just the right distance from the sun. Just the right atmosphere. Just the right balance of nature. Beauty. You want to talk about how pretty everything is? When we want to draw something pretty, we draw something from nature. We copy something that God already thought was beautiful. His wisdom. Go study microbiology. Go look at the way the cell works. Go look at the way all the little working parts inside the cell work. And then they interact with each other. And the way it all works together to form a body. That's wisdom. You talk about wise and making it exactly right. We couldn't have seen these attributes as we see them without God's act of creation. And now that God, we've seen creation, we understand a little more about God. And of course, the cross. You want to talk about the a demonstration of who God is? Think of what we see about him. How much of God's love do we see? When we see God the Son dying to pay for my sins. About the love of God, I understand there. We're going to talk about the wrath of God that we see. His own Son answering for my sins on the cross. And God pours out all of His wrath. Couldn't have seen it without that. The power of God. He paid for all of my sins. He paid for the sins of the world. How much power does that take? He didn't just stop and say, okay, I can't do any more. No, he paid for all the sins. Righteousness. God didn't say, well, you know, I'll let you into heaven and we'll just pretend nothing ever happened. No, sin had to be taken care of and it was taken care of. God's righteousness was fully satisfied. Wisdom. Who would have thought you could save a sinner like me? Who would have thought that you could turn me into a child of God after I had rebelled against God? And yet, the wisdom of God found a way. I can now understand more about God. I can see his wisdom. The kindness of God towards a helpless, undeserving, ungrateful, rebellious sinner how much kinder does it get than to die for someone like that? 
I can see more about God now. God is revealing himself. Realizing that God's in the business of revealing himself helps you to understand why there's sin in the world. People always say, why is there sin if God's a good God? Well, if there wasn't sin, we couldn't have seen the negative attributes of God. Now, when I say negative, I don't mean bad. Negative attributes, attributes that require something negative to react against. Judgment. If there had been no sin, I couldn't have seen the judgment of God. I couldn't have seen the wrath of God. I couldn't have seen the long-suffering of God. I couldn't have seen his patience waiting for someone to repent. Couldn't have seen his, to an extent, I couldn't have seen his holiness separate from sin. I couldn't have seen the mercy of God if it hadn't been for sin. So in the ages to come, God's going to be revealing himself to us. We're going to be understanding more and more about him as the ages roll on through billions and billions and billions of years. And that's just the beginning in a perfect relationship with God, in a place prepared by him face to face with him, perfectly understanding everything in an incorruptible body. Turn now, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. We've been talking about all this good stuff. Well, here's where it all begins for us. First Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So this is how it starts. The Lord calls us. We go up to the clouds to meet him. To meet him. Notice, I haven't met Jesus. In a sense, I have. But I haven't met, really. I haven't really met the Lord. If I'm going over to Noah's house, I don't say I'm going to meet Noah. I've already met him. I know who he is. I know what he's like. I know what he enjoys. I know what he doesn't like. I know his smile. I've been with him. I've met him. I spent some time with him when I first met him, and I got to know him better. What's it going to be like to meet Jesus? To spend some one-on-one time with the Lord? To get to know his smile? Get to know his voice? To meet the Lord in the air? And it's not like meeting a king. I go to meet the king, I bow before him, he acknowledges me, maybe I say a few words, he says a few words, and then I go, and that's it. No. Thus shall we ever be with the Lord. I meet him, and then I'm going to stay there. It's not going to stop. Yet another part of heaven. I meet him for the first time, and then I stay with him forever in this perfect relationship with him that I was designed for in a place that he prepared for me face to face with him perfectly understanding everything with an incorruptible body that's not going to get tired I'm not going to have to take a break as God through the ages as the eons roll over each other reveals himself to me reveals how is he going to reveal himself by showing his grace his kindness toward me 
Okay, let's go there. Turn, please, to Revelation 21. The great white throne judgment at this point has taken place. You want to talk about God revealing himself? You want to talk about God revealing his righteousness? Talk about God revealing his judgment? How much are we going to understand after having witnessed that? How much of God is going to have been revealed during that time? The devil, the rebellious angels, the unbelieving people, death itself and Hades have all been cast into the lake of fire. All that has been finally taken care of forever and ever, never again. Will that ever need to come up? Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of life, of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be, I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most, a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Jump down to verse 22, please. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Wow. 
This is the best glimpse that God ever gives, God gives us in the Bible of what it's going to be like for us in eternity, of the eternal state. Back in Genesis, God created a perfect world. Remember that? Way back on the other end of the Bible, back in the first chapter. And we read, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. However, Adam sinned, and everything was horribly ruined. But you know what? All those awful things that happened after Adam's sin, they've either been reversed or they've been restored. We end up in a better situation than we actually would have been in if Adam hadn't sinned. God has worked it to his glory and for our benefit even through such a devastating act as that first sin was. You want to, again, talk about the Lord revealing himself and his wisdom? What's really fun is to look at all the no mores. So I want to look at that for a little bit. All the no mores, they start actually in verse 1 of chapter 21. It's, it's implied. New heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth that were ruined are gone. Now there's a new heaven and a new earth. You think about it, it it's, it's fitting. What, what has, th- that we're sitting on, this earth, what has this earth been associated with? Th- think of j- just the permeation of sin throughout everything. All, all the wicked acts that have been performed. All the sin. All the stuff that, I mean, you even think about the, the radio waves that are emanating through space right now of blasphemy, who knows what. That, that all needs to be purged. We can't take this into eternity because it's been marred by sin. So God makes a new heaven and a new earth. You take it out of the bubble wrap, you know, take away the shrink wrap, there it is, brand new. Nobody's ever done anything to it. A new heaven and a new earth. Another one. The separation from God that started when the first sin started with the first sin. All of a sudden, what does Adam do? He goes and hides. I, I heard your voice and I was afraid, and so I hid from you. Separation from God, well, that's now ended. God himself will be with them. I love that. Himself. Another bit of a superlative there. God himself will be with them. That's why there's no more temple. You don't, I, don't need to go, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to a temple of a place that's associated, that kind of represents the presence of God because I've got God. We don't need a temple. God himself is going to be there. I could just sit and think about that for the rest of the day, I'm telling you. The death. What did God say? The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they ate of it. Death came. The death that was brought on by sin is no more. There shall be no more death. Think about that. Death is such a way of life for us. I loved having Bill McDonald with us. Uncle Bill. But he died. No more death. 
Similarly with death, the sorrow and the crying and the pain that are all a result of sin are no more. It's all gone. No more sorrow. You ever sorrowed? Ever been sad? Ever laying in bed crying about something? Something ever hurt? Happens all the time. There's going to be no more pain. It's not just that we won't get hurt. There's going to be no more pain. It's gone. Why does God make a point of phrasing it this way? God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Why why doesn't it just say that God's going to decree that there's no more tears? You get the picture of a distressed child sitting on the knee of its parents. Parent wipes away the tears. It's okay. It's all better now. All that stuff that was bothering you is gone. No more. Sin itself is gone. There shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. I am so sick of sin. I am so sick of both myself getting pulled towards it and I'm so sick of the presence of it. I'll be so glad when sin is gone. The sun and the moon are both gone. Why not? We don't need their light because it got the glory of the Lord. Glory is something that's so cool. It's... It's not like, well, you haven't got the sun and the moon, so God's going to kind of like be the sun instead. No. Glory is something different. It's not photons that are emanating from God. It's this moral beauty. He's perfect. And he's so beautiful and perfect that he shines. That's what glory is. We read that God dwells in unapproachable light. It's the outshining of his moral beauty. that's much, much more than photons, these particles or waves that are coming out of the sun as a result of reactions. No. Moral beauty that shines. Moses said to God, when when Moses was on Mount Sinai, he said, Lord, please, in, in, in the King James, it says, Lord, I beseech you, show me your glory. If Moses had wanted to stand in a bright light, he could have stood out in the sun. That wasn't what he wanted. Lord, show me your glory. It's euphoric to take in, to appreciate. I, I can't really describe it because I haven't experienced it. I just know how God describes it. I know how Moses reacted to it when he saw it. What, what did God do? God said, look, okay, I can't show you my glory. I'll cover you with my hand. And I'll pass before you. And I'll take away my hand and you can see my back. But that's it. And as a result of only this, Moses' face shone. That's definitely not photons, by the way. That's something more. That's something much more. 
is something that he wanted. Lord, please show me your glory. Brothers and sisters, you and I are going to be in a place that is constantly full of this glory. So much so that you don't need the sun because you've got God and his glory there. Moses wanted to see it and God said, you can't see it. Well, you know what? Not not only is it going to be just this moment that Moses could see the back of the Lord, we're going to be there forever drinking in the glory of the Lord. What we've been designed to enjoy. It's something that's like drinking a new wine, something so special, the glory of the Lord. We'll be doing it for eternity in bodies that can take it in. Moses couldn't take it in because he had this thing that I've got right here, which goes away after a while. We're not going to go away. We're not going to be consumed by the glory of the Lord. We will be able to take it in for eternity as the ages roll on, billions and billions of years and much more. As a result of this, therefore, the night's gone. I kind of read that the first time and I'm like, okay, no more night. I kind of like the night sometimes, you know. It's when we go out to see performances sometimes and, you know, you get to see the sun. But, but you think about it. Now that the, the light is glory, I don't want to be removed from that glory. I don't want to have a time where I'm not exposed to that. There's no more night. I won't be seeing the glory of the Lord only sometimes. And then at other times, there's night. No. No more night. Always. Basking in the light of that glory. Adam sinned, and God said, you know what? we got to block the way to the tree of life. Otherwise, he'll eat it and live forever. Well, what did we see here? Chapter 22. The tree of life again. Where'd that come from? Well, you know what? It's in the middle of heaven, and we can eat of it anytime we want to. It's right there. It's the way, there's no angels standing there with fiery swords blocking our way. It's an actual fruit. Adam and Eve saw it. It's there. I wonder what it's like. I wonder what it tastes like. And of course, it's unlike any other fruit. It has a moral quality to it because when I eat of it, I don't die. That, that, that's much more than molecules. There, there, there's something else about it. But we're going to be able to eat of the tree of life. The curse that came upon the earth is a result of Adam's sin. Cursed is the ground for your sake. That's gone. Verse 3, chapter 22, no more curse. All those weeds that you have to pull up, the unpleasant, the hard work, that's all gone. Now, that's not to say that we're going to be sitting on clouds, strumming on harps, kind of floating around in this nirvana. No. What does it say? His servants shall serve him. Uh, They shall reign forever and ever. There will be service. But it's not service that's going to be a drudgery, that's going to be tiring, that's going to be so hard, that's unrewarding. I plant this thing and then weeds grow up around it and choke it out. No, the curse is gone. We don't know what that's like because we we live in a cursed world. We're going to find out though. No more curse. And they shall see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. How much closer, more closely 
linked with God, as it were, can I be than to have his name on my forehead? Right there. You talk about, they, they talk about having the mark of the beast, you know, on your forehead, on your head. Well, no. We're going to have the name of the Lord on my forehead forever and ever. And again there. They shall see his face. What did God tell Moses? You can't see my face, for no one can see me and live. Well, you know what? We're going to see his face. So this is the final state of things. And by final, I don't mean the lights go off, the lights go back on, the movie ends, and you go and walk home. No, final in the sense of this is the beginning. Final in the sense of we're barely going to remember this. Obviously, we'll remember to a certain extent because we'll remember what we were saved from. But this is going to be like a moment of time, this life right here. Drinking of the water of life. Eating the fruit of the tree of life with the Lord for eternity in this perfect relationship with Him, in this place that He prepared for us, face to face with Him, perfectly understanding everything, where God reveals Himself, revealing His grace and His kindness to us, always with Him, learning about Him, delighting in His glory, which is going to fill all of heaven, worshiping Him for eternity. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we say, like John says, Lord, at the end of Revelation, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we are waiting for that day. Thank you for giving us an idea of what it's going to be like. Lord, we know that with our... Lord, our sinful minds, our sinful bodies, we have no idea of what you really have for us. Lord, we can say that we're looking forward to it so much. Lord, thank you that you're not going to place us in somewhere that's a nice place, Lord, but thank you that we're going to be with you. Lord, thank you that you will be revealing yourself. Lord, thank you that you'll be doing that for us. Thank you, Lord, that it is coming. As you said, Lord, if it were not so, I would have told you, Lord, and yet you did tell us, so we know that it is so. Lord, we want to draw as near to you as we can this side of heaven, Lord, knowing that it's going to be so much better once we're in heaven. Lord, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. We say we love you this morning. In your name, amen.